Episode 258, Leverage Your Surroundings. We're Aaron and Dave Tashin, co-hosts of the Mindful Educators Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Elite Educators, Gretchen here of Always the Lesson. I am very interested to hear what you'll think of this episode. It is unlike no other I have done before. Rather personal, but don't worry, I'm connecting it professionally and you are going to be able to leave with tangible next steps. It explains a little bit about my disappearance this week, a really hard challenge I had to face and how I overcame it, and of course, the lesson I learned because of it. So I am going to share that with you. I know it's going to be helpful as you overcome obstacles and foresee potential problems and even get hit sideways sometimes by unforeseen circumstances. You're going to be well-equipped and prepared to handle it. All right, so with that, let's get started. I want to give a shout out to all the countries who are listening. I'm going to give you my top, let's see, two, four, six, seven. I don't know because that's just the amount that show up on my data page on that first page there. So, hey to all y'all in Canada, Australia, the UK, Japan, Germany, Saudi Arabia, and New Zealand, to all the countries on the pages that come after. I see you and I'm very excited that you're tuning in. I'll give you a shout out on a future episode. And don't forget, please leave a rating and review if you are loving the show. Oh, okay. I've been putting this episode off long enough because it's just been, dare I say, the 2020 word, traumatic. I've never really in my life had something be traumatic, so I've never used the word and I would even maybe roll my eyes if I hear it often because it seems like the new buzzword in our culture and maybe when it's overused, it loses its sting. But this truly was something I will never forget that caused me a lot of emotional trauma. I guess that's why it's called traumatic. And I do kind of worry, do I have PTSD? Do I need to just work through it? My husband even mentioned like therapy. And I'm like, I don't know. Let's just give it some time. It's very fresh. It's very new. But of course, that means it's the perfect time to really talk about it. If my story can help somebody, then it's worth it. It's worth to endure it. And the fact that, spoiler alert, everyone's okay, it makes it much easier to discuss. So it was a normal day. I had gone to the grocery store with my youngest, picked up some stuff, went to preschool pickup, got my pre-K child and my preschool child. We're in the car. We're coming home. We're sitting down to have lunch, and my littlest is just so whiny, and I figure he's hungry, and I'm like trying to, here's this, here's this, he doesn't want anything, and I go to just sit down, like maybe he just wants to cuddle, and I'm like, holy cow, this kid's warm. He had his pajamas on, and I could feel up the back of his shirt, and then on his neck, so I feel his forehead, and I've got all these different thermometers. When you have kids, they're constantly sick, and so you just go through a whole bunch. And none of them were really registering a fever, but I knew something was really wrong. I have never in my life felt something as hot as his body was. Like, it was not good. Almost like a volcano inside. So I finally find a thermometer that works, and it says 103. And I'm like, 
103. Holy cow. So I quick grab some, I don't know, Tylenol or Motrin, whatever was the closest thing, get it into his body. And I noted, I stripped him down. So to try and cool him off and I'm using teething toys that are in our freezer and just putting it all on his body to hopefully help calm it down. And I'm like, he's got a full diaper. Let me just go change him. Well, as I am laying him on the bed, he starts having a seizure. This child is a year and a half. I had a dog that had a seizure one time and I'm still pretty affected by that because I was maybe seven when I found the dog and screamed for my mom and it was just very scary to see. I was not prepared and it brought me right back to that moment. But I realized very quickly, I'm the adult. There's no mom to cry for. So I, I think left my phone in the kitchen. I still don't know why I picked him up and moved him, but that's my guess is that my phone was there. So I picked him up, ran him to the kitchen floor, put him down, dial 911. I'm screaming to my other children, come help, come help, come help. I mean, what they were going to do, I really don't know. But I was freaking out and I'm crying. I'm not a crier, but this was scary. And I kept saying like, oh my gosh, wake up, wake up, because I wanted him to come too. He was just not, not there. His eyes were not rolled back, but they were looking up. And obviously his body was, was trembling and my girls kept saying he's shivering, which is exactly what it looked like. So one daughter's five, one daughter's three. I'm on the phone with 911 and she's asking where my address is. I I literally don't know my address. I am so in freak out mode. I cannot, I can't come up with that information. I mean, and she's like, ma'am, I've got to, I got to get them to you because I'm saying like, hurry, hurry. And she's like... She's not laughing, but she's, ma'am, I need to be able to tell them how to get there. And so finally I spit it out and then she asked for a cross street and couldn't come up with that. And eventually that spit out and I'm just screaming to her, ma'am, help me save my son. Help me save my son. And I'm even asking her, sorry, I'm getting teared up just thinking about it again. Uh, I said, is he going to have brain damage? And I'm like, and she's not answering me. So that to me was a sign like, yes, she didn't want to freak me out by giving me honesty or something. And eventually she said something back, like, ma'am, I am not a doctor. And that kind of got me out of my hysteria because I was just like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Like on repeat and I'm crying and my two girls are standing next to me just staring at what's happening and so I realized this might be traumatic for them. So I say, go to the front door, go wait for the ambulance, tell them I'm in the kitchen. And so they're now gone. And I'm like, okay, hopefully I didn't ruin their future, you know, and he is still seizing. So, and I'm on the phone with her and we finally get the information she needs and he stops. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, is this good? Is this bad? So that was three minutes long and she made sure that she asked me, is he breathing? And I said, yes, which is great. And then she said, you know, turn him on his side. He might vomit. And he closed his eyes. And I'm like, oh my God, he's closing his eyes. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh, but I'm just so, I'm such a newbie. Like, I don't know anything about this. So some of you are listening. You're like, yeah, this is textbooks. No big deal. But to me, it was just absolutely the world was ending, crashing down on me. And I'm by myself and relying on myself who has zero skill. Like, talk about being terrified because you're in a situation that you don't belong to be in. You know, I felt like I was in the middle of the woods without the tools I needed to get out. And it was very scary. So 
he closes his eyes and is resting and she's like it's exhausting for them they might sleep it is okay as long as he's breathing and I'm like, okay. So she gets off the phone. She's like, they're almost there. Meanwhile, I was texting my husband, 911, come home. And But he's calling me. And I'm like, I can't pick up. I'm like literally on 911. You don't tell them to hold on. So he is trying to figure out what's happening. And I, for whatever reason, I called my mom. I, she's an hour away. I don't know how she could help. But I guess I just wanted motherly advice or, or who knows. And she told me she couldn't make out, like I was speaking English and there were words, but they did not string together in a cohesive sentence. She could not figure out what I was trying to say. And she could hear it in my voice that I was panicked and something was very wrong. And so she finally said, Gretchen, get a hold of yourself. You're going to scare your kids. And that, just like the lady screaming to me that she's not a doctor, my mom helped me snap out of the hysteria again. And she's like, and I explained what happened, and she said, and who's going to watch the kids? I'm like, oh, God, I'm, I'm going in the ambulance. My husband's coming home, but he's going to want to come with me. Who's I, I don't know. I didn't think that far. So I quick hang up on her and, again, apologize because I just wasn't with it. I think I was very short with everyone and didn't even, like, say hello, goodbye. I was just screaming. And so luckily, because of COVID, most of my neighbors are home because they're working from home now. And so I called my neighbor, which she knew something was wrong because we text all the time, but we don't call. So she picked up and she's like, Hey, everything okay. And I'm just like screaming and crying. Can you please just come over here for a few minutes? Adam's coming home, blah, blah, blah. Like relayed the whole thing. And she was able to come how she wasn't on a phone call in a meeting or having other something else to do. I just don't know. It was amazing. So she pops over and I am now going outside to get him in the ambulance and, you know, they are doing whatever checklist that they have to make sure he's okay. And I hear him talking to her, something about the lights, like, were they going to use the lights, turn it on, meaning was this urgent? And she said, no lights. And so based on how calm they were and the fact that they decided no lights, I kind of calmed down because I realized the emergency is over. Like the seizure's done. Nothing is critical. They're just going to get me to the doctor and we have time, which is good. And my neighbor was able to watch. My husband made it there right as we were leaving, but he actually needed to take the car anyway so I could get home. All these logistics you're just not thinking of in the moment. You know, you're like, come in, jump in with me. You're like, never mind. That doesn't make any sense. Luckily, I have family members who are in the medical field. And so one of the phone calls I made after I hung up on my mom was to my sister-in-law and I told her what happened because I knew she would be able to tell me in the meantime of me laying on the floor with him as seizure was done and before the ambulance came what do I do now and she said he's really hot we got to get the fever down so it doesn't happen again put him in the kitchen sink and just douse him in freezing cold water and he's shaking now from being cold but he's still not really with it he can't make eye contact his body is still kind of like a rigor mortis like frozen in that position of how he was having his seizure and he lifeless is all I can say like I'm trying to hold him up but he's no longer a tiny infant you know so I can't do it with one arm and trying to water him down and then I realize okay his body's cold let me wrap him up in a blanket get a new diaper on him that's when everyone came in and the funny part here is my daughter who's five is very like political and she's like yes thank you thank you for coming <laughs> like who are you and I was so mad at her for like intervening you know I'm like go sit down get out of the way 
But now looking back, that's probably one of the funnier moments that happened. So he's all hooked up in the ambulance. He's got these stickers on him for his vital signs. And being in the back of an ambulance is not great. I already get motion sickness and you can't completely see out. And it's very big and bulky and there's stuff slamming around and it just, I'm like, oh my God, this kid's on a stretcher. I'm going to be puking and on a stretcher. This is just literally getting worse as we speak. My husband is speeding home, which is like a 30 minute drive. And he's, he's going through all the scenarios in his head about what happens if he gets pulled over. He hopes the cop will let him go, but now he's going to just take even longer to get home. And he had called and I had picked up at some point in this time. And I was telling Elijah who must have had his eyes closed at this point, like, wake up, buddy, wake up, buddy. So my husband thought he wasn't breathing. And so now he's calling his dad, who's three hours away. He's like, get in the car now. I need you. And just hung up. And then he called his sister, who's 30 minutes away in Charlotte and said, I need you to go watch the kids. And so she went over. Thank goodness my neighbor was able to go back and work. And my sister-in-law, I guess, brought her laptop so she could work while she was watching the kids and anyway everyone all hands on deck and apparently I didn't even know this at the time but my mom and dad just got right in the car they're an hour or so away and you know when she had that short phone call with me I hadn't even thought about what I was going to do next I don't know if they were coming to watch the kids or they were just coming for support I have no idea but I mean nothing like a mom and dad to just come and be there right and then I have a a best friend from high school who's a nurse and her husband works in the ER. So I texted her all the information I knew, like how long the seizure was, how high his fever was, whatever data the people in the ambulance were talking to each other that I could overhear. And she, along with my sister-in-law who was telling me about the bath, told me exactly what it was, that it was going to be a febrile seizure, which just means A high fever too fast causes the body to have a seizure to kind of shut down whatever's happening before it gets worse. And I was so worried about, you know, is this going to cause brain damage? I kept saying that to the lady on the 911 call. Like, is he going to be brain dead? Is he going to be brain dead? And she's like, man, I'm not a, a doctor. And so I asked the guys in the ambulance again, like, and he walked me through It shouldn't because it was related to the fever. They checked his sugar levels when they got to the hospital and it was normal. So now we can get the idea of anything related to blood sugar causing it. So if a child is to have one, I guess this is the best one to have. And they just observed us for a few hours once they got him stable and he was wiped out just from that three minute seizure. He slept for a long time and they did a COVID test. He was negative. So all in all, the update, the pediatrician didn't even want to see him. She looked at the notes from the emergency room and knew right away that it was a textbook case. It wasn't anything alarming. It was a short seizure. He was breathing throughout it, which meant no brain damage. And it was all over his body versus one side of his body, which would be something more related to the brain than actual the temperature. And she's like, just watch him over the next few days. And he had 101, which is kind of a a high fever for like three days. And I'm like, this is not getting better. Could he have another one? I am chasing him around with a thermometer. I'm paranoid that at any moment he could just drop and have one. So I'm thinking about what if this happens on the stairs? What if this happens on a bunk bed? What if this happens in the backyard 
along our fence line. What, you know, I'm thinking the worst case scenarios of, okay, what do I do? What if I'm in the grocery store and I'm just kind of derailing, but I really wanted to feel prepared with some sort of game plan. And then three days later, he broke out in a rash and he was fever free. And apparently the rash is called roseola and it happens once your fever breaks. I don't know. I guess it's a it's a good sign. I'm not sure. It's just your body like getting rid of more of the toxins or the germ or whatever. Speaking of germ, whatever the heck this thing was, it was scary. And there's really no rhyme or reason. They can't figure out why some kids have this and some don't. It's a one in three it'll happen to. And of the ones that it happens to, again, one in three, it would happen again. But it's not every time. And it's not every time it's high. The doctor, one of the doctors in the ER said, yeah, I've had people in here with a hundred degree fever and it happened. I'm like, well, great. There goes my theory of like, just pump them with medicine as soon as he pops a 99 and you'll just avoid this the rest of your life. So I'm not feeling great about that. She's like, well, they usually outgrow it by age five. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I got three more years of just walking on eggshells, nervous. But again, this all happened the best way possible for me to really realize how blessed the whole situation was, you know, I was at home. Thank God it wasn't while I was driving just a few minutes earlier in the car. And thank goodness I was tending to him. I was changing his diaper. What if he was outside playing with his sisters or upstairs? Every person I called picked up on the first ring. Like when do you ever make a phone call and people actually pick up? And that they're actually home and that they're not busy. Like, what are the odds? Not just one person, but every single person I called. I could not believe that. Especially some because some of the people I called travel. Hey, y'all. Popping in here real quick to remind you, if you are loving the podcast, hop on over to iTunes to leave a star rating and type in a few words for the review. This helps other educators find the show so they, too, can be empowered. Lots of love and thanks. Now back to the show. So the me, the always a lesson inside me is like, okay, what, what, what am I supposed to be learning from this? Uh, yeah, I cannot rely on myself alone. Like my emotions are all over the place. In the last episode, I talked about how you could be really clear headed and having your game plan. And when you have to get focused, you can get really focused. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you definitely are not. And I thought, okay, this situation was a little elevated. But from what everyone around me said, besides my 911 call and my scary call to my mom, the rest of the folks around me said, you were very calm and like focused, like able to handle what was in front of you. You weren't distracted and hysterical. And I wanted to say, well, you should have seen me a few minutes earlier. So that goes to show that we can get it together and thank goodness for my mom snapping me out of it and for the 911 operator snapping me out of it. I was able to kind of get control, but it taught me like you might not be the most reliable in a situation like this. <laughs> but what I did know and why it was so successful is I knew the strength of my network. I was able to tap into people around me who were able to help me. I knew who was able to watch my children. I knew who was able to get me the medical information I needed. I knew to get 911 on the phone as soon as possible to walk me through what I'm doing while my child is having that seizure. There was no 
waiting around and brainstorming ideas. It was just go, go, execute, execute, execute. And all that saving time, I think, really helped me. You know, safety. I put him on the floor. I don't know why. That was kind of an instinct. I don't know if I would have picked the hard floor, but <laughs> that's just how I, I think I went there for my phone, like I said. So that must be the nearest place. I couldn't think. It was so loud. I couldn't think. And I told my kids as I'm rushing him to the floor, turn off the TV. So I was, although focused, I was able to notice what around me was affecting my ability to do well in this situation. And the TV had to get off. When I couldn't remember the answers on the 911 call, I just started narrating what was happening. Like I told her, I just, I don't know my address right now. He's laying here. His muscles are contracting. He's eyes are looking up. Like I just started describing exactly what was going on and and she was like, okay. And she was typing it in. So it was helpful, but it wasn't exactly what she needed. But I knew I couldn't think of that answer, but what do I know that would be helpful to her? And so I just started telling her. And then by doing so, I was able to (laughs) access the part of my memory that remembered the address and I was able to get that to her. Another great thing I did was including the people around me. So instead of girls get out of the way, I use I make yourself useful. Go watch for the ambulance. Unlock the front door. Tell them I'm in the kitchen. And that made them feel very proud to help and made them very invested in cooperating. If I needed them to be quiet or to lock the dog up, they were very willing to help because I was including them. I leveraged my support network. I had my neighbors who I know which one to call. I had my doc friends. I knew exactly who's in the medical field. I had family who I knew had access to all the latest research and especially in the field of seizures who knew medicines and signs to look for and was able to diagnose as I was in the ambulance, sending me the articles so I could read and be ready. And they were right. All, All of these folks were right on the nose. I knew, you know, who can I call that's going to help me in the way that I need help right now? So obviously 911, I don't know what to do during a seizure. They walked me through that. Once the seizure was over, calling my mom for any additional tips as a mother, talking to my husband and making sure he knew what was going on, and then calling my sister-in-law for how do I care for him after? And that was really helpful. So I knew It's not just I want to call to chat or I want to tell you what happened. Like we're not gossiping right now. I I called my resources, not my not just a best friend. I called someone who I knew who could give me the answers I needed. And then obviously I had a plan. I texted my husband while I was on the phone with 911. I texted him 911. He knew she never texts me that. This is an emergency. And then I followed that up with come home now. And he just flew in the car and went. He had no idea why, but he knew that this was a big deal. So make sure you have some sort of plan of action. So I know when I go back through the scenario, there were things I did that I leveraged other people and other things because I was a hot mess. (laughs) I could not rely on myself. I was not going to get through this on my own. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the skill set, but I did know people and I made sure I tapped into those immediately. So even though I'm speaking to you right now and we're going to talk in a minute about education, these are things that are applicable to life as well. And so when you're thinking, man, I'm really unprepared or I lack training or I don't have the skill set, well, that's okay because you actually don't have to solve everything as an island. 
You're not expected to be on a game show and have the answer yourself. You have access to people. Like right now I'm renewing my national boards and I'm doing it myself and I get stuck. I'm like, I just need a thought partner. I need someone to talk to about this. And I need someone who knows me professionally to push back on things or help me remember certain things I've done or to highlight certain things. And so I called my old coach and she's been able to help me rework this. One, she's a great writer. And so she helped that make that look nice. But she also knew me and was able to really help and highlight things I hadn't thought of. So I'd say this to say, even though here I am a nationally board certified teacher, which is supposed to be some sort of expert status, I still didn't get there alone and I'm still not going to continue getting there alone. And same thing in this situation I shared with you tonight, just leverage what and leverage who is around you. And you've got to be prepared to actually leverage it. Hit the button, hit the help, hit the SOS, phone a friend. So here are your tangible next steps. Thank you for hanging with me. I'm glad I didn't cry too much. It maybe sounded maybe at some parts very unemotional or maybe it was all over the place. I'm not sure. I've never really sat and described a scary event like that before. So I do know there's a lesson in here, not just for us as people, but for our profession. So here I go with five tips for you of what you're going to do next. Number one, I want you to update your Rolodex. And if you don't know what that is, (laughs) that means I'm old. Way back when in the office space, they would have these circular card files. And every time you'd meet someone, you put their name and their address and their phone number and you'd put it in this Rolodex. And when you needed kind of like a address book, but it was circular so you could just flip through it and find the number you needed. So whether you do it virtually now or it's just in your head, update your Rolodex. I want you to think about Who is more knowledgeable than you in specific areas and how can you contact them? Is it through text? Is it through email? Is it through Voxer? Is it through social media? However you could get to them if you needed their knowledge, their skills, their advice, put that down as their contact information. Number two, assign expert roles. So when you think about these people, What are they great at? When I'm working on my national boards and I picked my coach, I picked her because I knew of her knowledge and what I was writing about. She was the perfect partner. I didn't just pick someone that I thought, oh, will you read this for me? Or, hey, will you help me write this together? I knew where I was lacking and I picked the perfect person for that. Kind of like you're hiring someone to be on your team. What is your weakness? Find someone with that strength. And same thing in this scary situation of my son in the high fever. I knew who I needed to call, but I also was intentional. Why did I pick that person? And how do I want them to help me? When my sister-in-law picked up, she said, hello. I said, I really need your help. And then I told her exactly what happened. And I said, what do I do next? So I was very clear to her and what she needed to tell me. She didn't go on this rant and rave about a time she knew someone with a seizure or all the medicinal backstory. When I said, what do I do next? That leading question told her where she could help, where she could jump in and be helpful. And so number three, once you know who you can leverage and you know the area on which you can leverage them, mark the spot on a map. So what that means is what resources are at your disposal, whether the school gives these things to you or the district 
or even the state? Where are they? And how can you access them at a moment's notice? Maybe it's additional curriculum. Maybe it's an actual person who is the head of a certain department or the head of some curriculum or the head of some event, or maybe it's additional manipulatives, whatever it is you need. Who is that person? Where are they located? Where are the resources needed? How do you get them? What's the protocol? Do you have to fill out a form? You know, do you have to write a grant? Like decide if you know all these things ahead of time, when you need them, it's like, bam, go to action. And that is what saved me so much time is that I knew in my head what I needed to do and I just executed. But if I didn't have all these things set up ahead of time, I didn't have these contacts, it would have taken a long time for me to get the help that I needed. And I might not have gotten the best help just reaching out to whoever was nearby. So step four, know your limitations and not just know them, but accept them. Like I knew I knew nothing. (laughs) He was like, this is not my forte. I don't know a lick about this. I need help immediately, like level zero, like help me with everything. I didn't have the skill. I had no knowledge and I also didn't have time. I couldn't Google what to do. Like it was immediate. It was an emergency. And that's going to happen to you too. Know your limitations. When do you need to put on an event at your school? When do you have to teach that certain lesson? When do you need to have a community member come in? When you know that you have some sort of constraint, whether you can't do it yourself because you're not skilled or you don't know, have the knowledge to do the career day because that isn't your career that someone's asking for, or, oh my gosh, this is happening tomorrow, time constraint. You know, know your limitations. And when you know your limitations, guess what? It's time to leverage the people around you and the things, the resources to get you there. And step five is just to revisit these things every quarter. I think it's helpful to know, you know, maybe you've gotten new contacts or there's a new website that you have to visit to find downloadables and make sure it's saved in a tab on your computer. Just update it. So again, when these things happen or an opportunity comes, you are ready to execute and you're not doing it yourself. I'm not saying you're the know-all, be-all. You can just put on a carnival yourself or a circus or whatever the analogy is, but you know where to go. Who do you need? How do you need them to show up? When do you need them? You're just able to boom, get, get exactly what you need. So your five steps again, update your Rolodex, assign expert roles, Mark the spot on a map, know your limitations, and revisit that quarterly. Let me tell you, you will never make an impact by yourself. And you know that old saying, behind every successful man is a woman, or it takes a village? There's a reason for those phrases, because there's so much behind the scenes that's occurring. It's never the person in front of you or the situation in front of you. So much is going on. You know, movies and TV shows, they've got three times as many people working behind the scenes that you never see. But it's because of those people that help it become what it is. And so to have an impact, to make a mark, to be a top educator in a school, it takes a community of people and things. So those who take advantage of the power in those people and in those things propel the boat further than if they just relied on themselves alone. I would have never made it through this personal situation on my own. There was just so much minutiae, like tiny important pieces that were executed in symphony. It's like 
Educators are not silos. We are community builders. I am so thankful, so blessed that all the pieces fell into place as needed, that when I leveraged my surroundings, everyone showed up for me. I didn't cry wolf, so everyone knew, you know, she doesn't really call and she's not usually this panicked. This must be serious. And they came. And because I don't rely on them often, they were willing to come with guns blazing to do whatever necessary. And that's also to say I have been giving back to all these people in other ways prior to. So it's it's a two-way street. You can't just expect people to drop what they're doing and help you out if you haven't invested in that relationship. If you haven't also been giving to them when they need it, whether it's resources or time or knowledge or skills. So when you're going through that Rolodex, make sure you're thinking two-way street Is this someone I can leverage and would they respond to the call? Have I given them a reason to want to pick up and work with me or partner with me? Have I given them the respect they deserve? Have I given back to them too? So just do the work, y'all. Do the work because together we will have the maximum impact. Woo! Elite educators. (laughs) That was quite an episode totally different than anything we've done before. Thank you to everyone on social who saw my quick message that I was going to be off for a while. And I appreciate hearing from you. Makes me feel a lot of love and a lot of support and a time I really needed it. So thank you so very much. I hope you found this episode impactful. Whether if you're a mama out there, this gives you a sigh of relief and you now have next steps in that particular instance or the rest of us educators who can take the lessons learned from that event, apply it to our situations, no matter what obstacles we're facing, and execute those five steps so we are ready to leverage our surroundings when it is time. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered.